everybody. Hey, that was nice. I love that. Uh, well, like Joel said, my name is Kenton, and uh, I'm super excited to be up here this morning uh, and just so thankful that I get the opportunity to do this. Uh, first off, jokes on him. I wrote this last night. Um, well, yesterday morning, because I practiced it a couple times here yesterday, so... Uh, and the main practice was last service, and it went okay. So, uh, yeah, but thanks uh, thanks so much for letting me be here, letting me do this. Um, I just want to say I'm just so honored and humbled that I get the opportunity uh, to be here on staff uh, with Bridgeway. Like Joel said, creative arts director. That really just means that normally I'm hiding behind an acoustic guitar, or normally when I talk there's music behind me, uh, which adds a lot of energy, so please feel free. Uh, you're welcome. Also, if you don't normally play keys, I'll come find you after. Uh, but yeah, just uh, that's normally what I do, or I'm back in the tech booth uh, doing something there, or I'm putting out fires during the week, or on Sunday morning, like when our power went out before all of you got here. That was fun. Uh, things like that, so that uh, you can be here, so that you can really just have a distraction-free environment to just, uh, to just sit, to learn about Jesus, to sing, and give your thanks to him. That's what I strive to do every week. So just thank you so much. And also, since I have a microphone, real quick, I just want to shout out uh, the teams that I get the opportunity uh, to lead. And I just want to say, we have some incredibly talented people, uh, both that are up here or back in the tech booth, um, that just pour out their hearts every single week uh, to worship alongside you guys, uh, to lead you, to just teach more about Jesus and what it's like, whether they're up here or back there, and uh, it's always cheesy, but uh, can we just give them a round of applause and just say thank you to them? Yeah, they're just so awesome, and I don't often get the opportunity to just celebrate them. Um, every single one of them is so talented and so awesome. So, if you're a new person and you come up on stage and you have a microphone, you have the responsibility to do two things, and that's one, you have to introduce your family, uh, and then two, you have to pay the dog tax. Uh, so I'm here to provide both of those things really quickly. Uh, so first, I want to introduce you to my new member to the family. Uh, we can go ahead and put his picture up there. Oh, there he is. Yeah, you can offer this one, but you also have to offer the next one, whether you like dogs or not. Uh, so this is Leo. He, uh, this was a couple weeks ago, wearing his headphones. Pro tip, you can wear headphones here. It's fine. Uh, but he, uh, he fell asleep, so something. Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he's just over two months old. He's also in this room also wearing his headphones. Hey, buddy. Um, so yeah, this is Leo. Second picture is the dog tax picture. This is Scotty. Thanks. Thanks for the awe. I appreciate it. Uh, yes, this is Scotty and also Leo. She was our first baby. Uh, we're those people. Uh, those people who are crazy about their dog. That's us. So she is still spoiled, a little jealous, uh, a little jelly most of the time. But uh, she really loves him as well. And then last but most importantly, here's my wife. Oh, somebody awed on this one. That's weird. Uh, only I'm supposed to do that. Uh, no. And then uh, this is my wife, Lainey. Uh, she's incredible. She's my rock. Uh, she's everything to me. She, uh, without her, I wouldn't be up here doing this. I wouldn't be up here uh, leading music or singing or any of this stuff. So i just um, just so thankful for her. Uh, and as is required by all Bridgeway staff members, you have to wear Bridgeway swag all the time. Joel wrote that in our handbook, actually. Uh, and then so much indoctrinated that we had to put it on our children. Um, 
which the funny thing is he can't fit in that anymore. Um, that's crazy. So that's a little about me. So now how about you? No? Okay. Next time? Okay. Uh, next time I'll ask for volunteers. Uh, so anyway, I want to recap a little bit from last week. Uh, last week we introduced this idea uh, that will be on the screen here, and it's the over-under reaction. The idea that we should strive not to overreact because our reactions to the circumstances in our lives can hold so much power and influence over us. And we talk about how Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount about this idea, about love, about not overreacting, about going the extra mile. And he taught it in such a shocking, and as Joel puts it, a mischievous kind of way. How our reactions to conflict, to hurt, to judgment, and to pain can overtake us. When we overreact, what if we shocked everyone and over-underreacted? The power of reacting like Jesus taught is going to get you questions like, who does that? Why would you act like that? How do you do that? Or my personal favorite, what's wrong with you? So last week, he, uh, Joel, he, Joel, uh, asked us three questions to think about over the week as we went about our week, and I really hope that you took time to reflect on these. The first one being this, uh, something that bothered you at home, and hopefully you didn't take this as an opportunity to nudge your spouse or to uh, say something to your children. Hopefully you took this as an opportunity to just reflect and reflect on what the second question was, which is, how would I normally react to this moment that's happening? Would I get angry? Would I get frustrated? Would I get confused? Would I storm off? What would that look like? What would my normal reaction be to this moment that I picked out? And then most importantly, and finally, how would my heavenly father react? How would my father in heaven react to this? Because I can guarantee that his reaction, his reaction would be amazing, unprecedented, and unexpected. And it would cause those around us to look at us and say, what's wrong with you? How do you do that? So I personally thought about that question this week, which is probably good because I was going to talk the next week after. So I thought about that question this week. Uh, and like I said, I'm a new dad and my wife is a new mom and we're navigating that fun thing. But all parents have one thing in common and it's a word you probably say a lot uh, or a thought that you have all the time and that's, I'm exhausted. Um, so exhaustion is uh, something all new parents and parents and everybody has in common. And if you're not a new parent, then you also still might know that exhaustion. That's the kind of exhaustion that, um, like, when you were younger and you were, you know, on summer break, and then your dad just, like, busts into your room, and it's 3 a.m., and you know you're about to head on family vacation, but you're, like, looking at the clock, like, it's 3 a.m., what's going on? And you're, you know, uh, like, waking up, don't really know what's going on. And then you realize your dad's waking you up at 3 a.m. You're going to drive an hour to the airport. And then your flight doesn't leave until 3 p.m. Like that reaction, that feeling of waking up and being like all groggy and you're probably mad and you say something to him. Yeah, that's the kind of exhaustion that I'm talking about. And that's, uh, that's the point that I found this week that I realized I'm not great at. I, Kenton is not great at 3 a.m. Like I'm, I'm not a fun fun person. Like I'm a you need a Snickers because you're not yourself kind of person. Uh, I'm just not exactly pleasant. And I don't know about you, but like the dog needing to go out to the bathroom. Look at that bathroom joke on Sunday morning. It's key. Uh, a dog needing to go out to the bathroom, like that has a totally different connotation when you're like 
also just awake because you were feeding your baby or also just up helping your wife. And our dog likes to hit the little doorstop thing on the bottom of the door so everybody in the room is awake regardless of how deep asleep. Um, you know, I'm going to mimic that sound in case you were curious. You know, that thing, in case you didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, but yeah, I realize I don't react well to that. I don't know if you would, but I sure don't. And sometimes you just want to like walk outside and you're like, ripping the door open and you're like go out there and then you're like wanting to slam the door maybe just leave the dog out there because you don't want to deal with it but I just realized this week that I'm not great in those moments and sometimes you know my wife will be like it's time for you to just go back to bed like I got this I got this and I'm like oh I'm here to help but anyway I realized something I really need to work on and I'm going to try and do this and that's just I'm just going to not say anything I'm just going to Lock the lips, throw away the key. I'm just going to execute. It's just going to be, let's do this. Let's get these tasks done. Because what gets me in trouble is my overreaction and the things that I may say, the overreaction of just being in a heightened, grumpy mood. So I'm going to try and over-underreact. So why did we do this exercise? Why this last week did we think about these things? Because that's what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus was trying to get through to us, and that's the over-under reaction, the leading with love. Because our over-under reaction to disappointment, mistreatment, that loss, those rejections, it's those reactions that can surprise people. When we could be angry, or maybe even when people think we should be angry, we do the complete opposite. Instead, we show up for somebody who maybe didn't show up for us in the past and let us down. If somebody didn't help us in the past, then we reach out and we try and help them when they're down and they need help. And if we feel like somebody's hurt us, that we choose to forgive them, we go the extra mile. Because there's this great quote by Andy Stanley uh, that really sums up where we're headed and what we were talking about last week. And that's this will be on the screen. Jesus viewed being mistreated as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to react in a way that catches people off guard. We react with that unprecedented forgiveness. We react with that unprecedented understanding, just like our Father in heaven. Because we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve his love, but he gave it to us anyway. When we wandered, he still loved us, still loves us. When we fall short, he's right there. He still loves us. And we saw that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking about that kind of love. And I just want to recap, finally, the end of last week by looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount again. So we're going to put some scripture on the screen here. And I'm going to read this. I love the way that this is paraphrased. It's a different translation than we um, talk about a lot, which we don't talk a lot about that uh, in general. But uh, yeah, this is just a different way to look at what we talked about last week. So if it's not exactly how it reads as last week, sorry, it's intentional. Um, so let me read this. You're familiar with the old written law, love your enemy, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you and not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. And the next part is the best part. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish. To everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, 
Do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. That hard, that unprecedented way of love that goes beyond just loving those who are close to us that are easy to love. That is that sun-to-warm, rain-to-nourish kind of love that's extended for everyone, that involves everyone. And last week, Jesus doesn't just teach about this, but now this week, we're going to look at how Jesus lives this out, how he lived out over-underreacting, how he lived out that love to those who even didn't maybe deserve it. How when he could have been angry, maybe even those around him will see, think he should be angry, he chooses not to. He chooses to do the opposite. So our reactions don't just give us the opportunity to reflect what God is like. It looks like this. Our reactions give us the opportunity to show our true confidence in God. Our reactions reflect who we believe is in control, and more importantly, how we react when things are out of my control, when I don't feel like I have control. How would our reactions change in those moments we chose to under overreact? How confident are we that God has control? And this is what Jesus wants us to look at. So first, I want to tell you a little bit more about myself real quick. And uh, this can be kind of difficult to talk about, uh, but I wanted to share it with you because I think it's just valuable, something valuable to talk about, uh, to just get out in the open, and it's just, it's not talked about enough, although um, I want that to change, so here we go. I'm going to talk about anxiety and depression and my personal walk with both of those things. Uh, So first, I know that if you have anxiety, if you have depression, that talking about it or hearing somebody talk about it can be triggering, can be very upsetting. So first, I just want to say that you are loved. You are not less than because of your anxiety or your depression or your struggles. That God loves you. I love you. Bridgeway loves you. We can come together to help support you. And second, and more importantly, that if you are struggling with something like that, and where I'm going to head with this, is seek out help. Either that's talking to a loved one or getting counseling, getting therapy with someone who you can trust, who can be there for you and help give you resources and tools along the way. So if you don't know what having a panic attack is like, I will now demonstrate. (laughs) And that was a very scared laugh. Uh, Just kidding, I'm already having one, no. Um, But no, uh, if you don't, if you've never had a panic attack or like a true anxiety attack, uh, I'm just gonna describe it for you. So again, this this can be upsetting to some people and I understand. But yeah, so for me personally, an anxiety attack looks like a heart racing. It feels like it won't stop, feel like it's going to explode out of my chest. It feels like I have 7 million hippos sitting on my chest with just a chest tightness. Uh, My vision can narrow. I've had anxiety attacks so bad that um, I've lost vision in one or both of my eyes, thankfully not at the same time. But yeah, people equate it to having a heart attack, which I can see how that might be, how you could actually easily get those two things confused depending on where you're at and what's happening. And uh, I'm gonna pause real quick. My brace is so tight on my hand that my thumb has gone numb. Yeah, I hurt hurt myself playing softball. So, you know, you get older and things just don't work. Is that what I'm learning? (laughs) Can I get an amen? Sorry, that was a derailment. But uh, so 
and we're talking about panic. That was weird. Um, so yeah, panic attacks for me, that's what they can look like. And it's just controlling everything for me. Like I get removed from the moment that I'm in. I feel like I'm envisioning things from above me, like I'm just having this weird, like out of body experience. And it doesn't just happen in the moment. A lot of times you can have weeks of it leading up to a moment when you know that you might have anxiety and that's just takes you out for weeks. Or uh, the worst part is after the fact, you can feel such shame and just hurt because you feel like you failed. Or I feel like I failed because I had an anxiety attack that removed me from a moment when maybe I needed to be there for my wife or maybe I needed to be there for my son or a friend that I failed them. And the reality is I've been seeing a therapist uh, off and on for years, but in the last couple years, I've just really dug deep and really put so much effort into uh, seeing my therapist, an incredible person, and she has helped me with so many resources and tools to be able to look at all of that in a different way, to be able to look at the moment when I'm having an anxiety attack in a different way, but to be able to look at all that time leading up to, and most importantly for me, look at it after the fact and know that I'm not a failure. The reality is all of those resources that have helped me regain control in those moments of panic and anxiety to help me take the next step in where I'm going, those all come from God. All of those tools that I have, he's aligned to give me the autonomy to make the decision that in that time, I'm here, I can be in control. That I can realize that even when I feel out of control, even when I still have anxiety attacks, that I can feel some semblance of that one thing that I can clutch onto and feel control over. That no grounding kind of thing where I feel like I'm wandering that out of control kind of feeling. That's just the way our reactions can be for us. Good segue. Our reactions can take us totally out of control for a situation. And that's what Jesus is going to show us over the next few examples. That he is full confidence in God. So much confidence that it doesn't matter what's happening around him. That he has that confidence in God that God's got this. That God is in control of the situation. So this first example of Jesus knowing that God is in control and that he has full confidence in him comes from Luke. And this is Jesus on a journey, on a journey that will eventually end in his death, his crucifixion. And he knows that this is coming. But along this journey, he has so much to do. He has so much to teach, so many examples to set, so much for people to learn. So we kind of tag along and jump in here. We'll uh, read this together. So, well, not together. I'll read it. Actually, that'd be funny if I made you guys read it. You want to try? So I'll read this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. And other than my cool added thing for effect, you might see this and you might be like, well, one, fire from heaven seems really intense. Uh, But two, like, so what? You know, like the Holiday Inn was closed kind of thing, you know. Like, we've been 
we see this all the time. Like, there's Midwestern nice, but like, you know, we're not that hospitable sometimes. Uh, but the reality was back then in the time of Jesus, like hospitality was assumed. It was expected everywhere that you went, that people would go the extra mile, that people would feed you, that people would put a roof over your head, that they would help you with whatever you might need for your continued journey. That was just what was expected. Expected kind of like the Cubs to lose. (laughs) Or if it's this year, the Cardinals to lose, which if you're a Cubs fan, that's amazing. (laughs) It can't get worse. Uh, Also, like when you get in your car and you push the button or uh, old school, turn the key, and you just expect the car to start. I have been many places in my life where I've done that, and my car did not start. You assume that. Or you have that one aunt that always brings that side dish to a family gathering, whether it's Christmas or Easter or or, uh, whatever, and they bring that side dish, and you're just expecting, and you, you just know, like, that aunt, like, she's she's gonna bring it, I know. And that's your favorite thing, like, that's all you look forward to, there's nothing else. That's the kind of assumption, or how you would feel maybe if you didn't, if she didn't bring that, how your reaction might be. Well, that was, hospitality was that important. It was assumed that you would do those things. And with the disciples, James and John, when they saw this, they had that assumption, and they said, well, then the obvious answer is let's destroy everything. And Jesus says, okay, no, that's, that's not it anymore. Maybe that was old school, Old Testament, but that's not how we do things anymore. They said, Lord, you know, you're going to call down that fire from heaven and destroy them. And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And the thing is, he didn't rebuke the Samaritans for not giving him hospitality. He turned to his own disciples, the people who were right there along with him, and he rebuked them. Because Jesus viewed being mistreated as an opportunity an opportunity to react in a way that caught people off guard. And we see Jesus continue his journey. He's teaching along the way, making a lot of waves in the communities, and then eventually he's arrested, and he knows what's next. This whole time, he knows what's next. But even when he's approached to be arrested, when everyone around him expected one thing, they expected him to resist, because why wouldn't he? He had so much more to do, so much more to teach. But Jesus did what? He saw it as an opportunity to do something unexpected. What did he do? He surrendered, which is something I I can't imagine. I can't imagine doing that. But he chose to do it anyway because his confidence was in God. And we see that over-underreaction of Jesus again, this time even closer to his crucifixion. This time, in a place that is literally life or death. There's literally a man in front of him standing there that is saying, I can have the power to change. Either you live or you die. I'm here to choose that. The person is Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of that area where Jesus had been teaching. And he really did. From Rome, he, had, he was given the power. He had the power over the soldiers. He had the power over all of the people of that area. And he did. He had the power to stand there and decide which prisoners were let free, which prisoners were sent to death. But we see him realize something over the course of an interaction with Jesus that made him realize that maybe he didn't have the power he thought. So first we see this in John 19. This is Pilate. Do you, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you 
or to crucify you? And like I said, he did have that power. And Jesus knew what was coming. And Jesus looked this man who had the power to choose in the face and he said, actually, I don't think that you do. Because as we continue, we see this next. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus is literally looking at the man who's going to decide whether he lives or dies. And he's saying, you're not in charge. Imagine looking at your boss and just being like, I'm the captain now. You know, like, like, like I'm taking over, you know. Joke's on you, Joel. This is it. The mutiny has begun. But no, like, he's literally looking at this man who's going to decide his fate. And Jesus is saying, you think you're powerful? You've led these soldiers. You've led these people. You don't have any power in this situation. You have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. Pilate did have power. But I think in this interaction, he realized that there was something more. Because we see then Pilate realized this. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free because the Jewish leaders kept shouting. No matter how much he tried to control the crowd, it didn't matter. They were still shouting for the death of Jesus. No matter what Pilate did in that moment, he had no control. He realized that there was something more, and yet he still sent Jesus off to be crucified realizing that there was no power, even from Rome, that he had. And here's the crazy thing, and what Jesus is showing, that even in a moment where Jesus is literally being sent to his death, Jesus forgives. Jesus, all those people that are out there calling for his death, forgiven. Pilate, who literally sent him out there, forgiven. Because crazy thought, But Jesus viewed being mistreated as an opportunity, even leading up to his death, an opportunity to catch people off guard. And finally, we see the disciple Paul much later in his life after Jesus. uh, And he, Paul, or I'm sorry, Paul, Peter. You know, Paul, Peter, it's cool. Um, (laughs) Peter, much later in his life, um, he's reflecting and he's dictating this to be written down. Uh, his experience to walk alongside Jesus and his just firsthand experience of what that was like, which is an incredible thing that he was able to do. But we see this in First Peter. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he still made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That Jesus, even in moments... Instead of overreacting, he still chose to over-underreact. Even on the cross, he's still making that hard and incredibly mind-blowing decision to over-underreact. Because even then, he saw an opportunity to show where he knew control came from. To show where his confidence is. If we lay it all down and let God have control, and more importantly, know that he is in control, then we can respond, we can react differently. We can over underreact. And you might think, okay, this seems maybe like Jesus was being a little passive, like he was, you know, going about his way, and he's like, oh, well, I don't want to bring anything up about them not 
you know, showing hospitality or, you know, like, I'm being arrested. I'm just going to kind of do the right thing and follow along. But the reality is Jesus is making those decisions in that moment to accept that over-under reaction, to make that sacrifice. He could have changed everything. He could have just made that all go away. But he didn't. He chose to over-under react. Because he realized that all of those people around him have no power over him if it was not given from above. The opportunity to show where his true confidence lied. Because Jesus, Jesus changed everything. Jesus flipped the script. He rewrote the book. He recast the movie. He got an entirely new movie made, whatever. It's all gone. There's something entirely new in front of us. A savior who is willing to go to the cross as the ultimate over under reaction to what was going on around him. That he knew who was in control. That his heavenly father was in control. Because he knew that being mistreated was an opportunity to react in a way that caught people off guard. To surprise people. To lead with love like his heavenly father. To lead with that water to nourish and son to help grow and give to everyone. That kind of love. That's for everyone. Jesus chose to do this. Let love lead the way. So that's what we get to do. We get to step right there. We get to see those examples of Jesus choosing to react in a different way, in an unprecedented kind of way, a way that's defined by love. We get to let love lead the way. That instead of getting angry and mad in a moment and saying things that we'll regret, we choose to walk away, give it space. That instead of the I'm listening, but I'm just going to try and fix it situation that seems to always get a back and forth of just frustration that you choose to be the one that listens, that you listen to understand where someone is coming from, what they have going on in their lives, how you can help them, that instead of gossip, we find the good in that person, and we see that, and we realize what that person brings that kind of value that they bring to the world to those around them and know that they're loved by the same God so this week that's our goal our goal is this what will your reactions say about your confidence in God this week as we go about our week whether it's at work whether it's at home wherever you're at what will your reactions in a moment say about your confidence in God Will they say that I know God has all the control? Will they say that I'm walking in the footsteps of Jesus, knowing the same thing that he knows, that his God is always in control, that I'm not going to let the circumstances around me be my Lord, but I'm going to entrust myself to the one who judges justly because Jesus did this. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judged justly, knowing that's not my responsibility because God has got this, that he is always in control. So here's my question. Are we gonna, can we do that this week? Okay, let's try again. This week, can we point to a confidence in God that he is in control? Yeah, awesome, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. So this week, let's focus on that. Let's let love lead the way. Let's let love be the first thing out of our mouths, not an overreaction, 
but love, an over-under reaction like our Heavenly Father. Let those people around us have no doubt because they look at us and they say, what's wrong with you? They have no doubt where we have our confidence. They have no doubt of that love like Jesus. Jesus.